Hello, my kings and queens, princesses and prince. This is the day that the Lord has made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the last Sunday before we go into Christmas, so I want everyone to have a beautiful, marvelous, supercharged, enjoyable holiday season this year. We've had a lot of trials throughout the year, um, and would be just wonderful to just have a few days just to just rejoice and show God that we thank him for everything that he has done. He got us through this turbulent year as always, but even more so um, because we many of us have lost loved ones this year that are dear to us and um we just, our hearts go out to everyone who has suffered a loss, regardless of that loss, whether it be in death or in divorce or just, just relationships that unravel. We just thank God for keeping us close and near and protecting us throughout this year. So if you have your Bible, please open it up. If you have your social media devices, please swipe left, right, up, down, download the following scripture that is coming from the book of James, chapter 1, verse 2. And it reads, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Amen. If I had to give this particular message a topic, it would be entitled, A Christmas Gift to You. Count it all joy. How? A Christmas Gift to You. Count it all joy. How? To start coming from the voice of Iron Mike Tyson. And everyone knows that I'm a big boxing fan. Not necessarily of the sport itself, but the discipline that these fighters have to go through. I just love their um, diligence. I love athletics, period. And I love what all athletes go through to just stay on track. But anyway, with Mike Tyson, he says, you do me wrong. And I, and, well, someone said this thought to him. He says, you do me wrong and I cut ties with you. Mike Tyson said, no, the devil wins when you do that. We can't understand this because we just want to get away from this. But we have to be the bigger person because that person changed us. So he or she is now the master because he or she is in control of the way we think and the way we act. He or she is now the master, like I said. Because you are not who you used to be. This up, this person is now running your emotions and actions. 
they stole that away from you. They they stole your control. And the only one who should be in control of us is the one who either that created us, made us, and formed us in his own image. Not someone named a Karen or Tyro or any other human being that wipes their backside just like us. Well, that last little part came from me, but um, wiping the backside. But you get the gist of what I'm saying. No one should be able to control the way you think and the way you act, but God. So the scripture says, the focus scripture says, count it all joy. I asked the question, how? What am I supposed to do with this? OMG, oh my God. We have to stop letting people take up space in our total being and in our life. Take this as we close in 2021 and enter into 2022 and beyond. Take this message and allow it to teach others. Share with your family and friends at this lesson as this will help lessen sickness and disease from entering through all of our being. This is one of those passages of scriptures that truly challenges our total being. It challenges our mind, which is the mental, our body, which is the humanity side of us, and our spirit, which is those things that are unseen in our unconscious, our connectedness to the triune God. And when we encounter experiences such as this, whether we are the recipient or the one doing or involving or another person, it deeply involves the mind, it involves the body, and it involves the inner spirit. And with that said, I ask the question, are you turning to the triune God during these times or are you, we or me, turning to things like gossip because it feels good? Or we turn into talking about others behind their back because it feels good instead of trying to come together to rectify the problems as they arise? I ask that question. Um, today, it is a challenge to just deal with other people in our everyday life. And when opposition comes about, and it will come about, because Jesus said that it would, instead of soaking in sorrow, consider, evaluate in today's time, game change, game on, time for us me and you to tighten up our stuff for the battle. Don't let opposition break us down and the gift that the Lord has done. Don't let jealousy seep in. Don't let malice seep in. Don't let strife seep in. Don't let somebody trip you up because you're youthful and you're beautiful and your body is together, and you have long, healthy hair, or just healthy hair, or just hair, because you have a nice career, 
because you have a nice income, because you have a handsome or attractive spouse or anything else. Not anyone, not any person, not anything should be able to control your life. In all fairness, not everyone intends to be mean. People don't intend to be mean, but it happens. They may simply be so self-absorbed that they are unaware of of others, motivated to meet their own needs, and just oblivious even when it is at the expense of others. They may unwittingly say or do something hurtful, push their way in front of you, or disregard normal social behavior, and it happens. And it's not saying that we don't do that. There are times when we all do something similar to this, or maybe all of it. Others may be more calculating. What about when you go out of your way to help someone and then you get accused or you get blamed for something not being done well or someone taking advantage of your kindness and then not appreciating or reciprocating when you have a need. Maybe the offending person has a knack for making you feel criticized or put down. You know these are all insecure attachment styles, right? That means that something in your early childhood, um, you know, uh, caused all this kind of stuff. So you act like that. Or you may hear that someone was talking about you behind your back, spreading misinformation about you, instead of simply just sitting down talking to you. The accumulation of these kinds of interactions can take an emotional toll on one's happiness and well-being, leaving one with fewer and fewer reservations to deal with um, or just reserves to deal with it. It can disrupt your sleep and make you feel irritable the next day. A lot of times people are irritable when they come into work. It's because they didn't get enough sleep. At the At the very least, it is exhausting. At the most, it can make you want to completely avoid social interaction. And that's what a lot of us do. We just try to avoid the whole thing. We just act like it don't exist. Well, that's not good either. In an ideal world, the first step is to openly invite the person to have a conversation. That's the mature thing to do. Maybe they are reacting to something that you are not even aware of. Or maybe even reacting to something that you said or did that you don't even realize. It is possible that you don't know the whole story. You only know your side. But you need to listen. Come to the table with open ears, open heart. It is always helpful to understand the context before drawing conclusions. But even with our good intentions, not everyone is comfortable or willing to engage 
in a conversation without becoming defensive. It happens. We're all human. If you're able to clear up a misunderstanding, then that would be absolutely great. But it does not always happen. But it is also possible the person could deny their own behavior and then get upset with you. You may be accused of being rude for accusing them of being rude. And this is a boomerang type reaction, as psychologists say, and does not resolve the situation. Another potential boomerang can happen if you choose to report the issue to someone in higher authority, thinking that you're going to get it resolved. Not, not so, not so much. Sometimes it is effective, and a lot of times you risk retaliation and only add fuel to the tension. It helps if you have strong allies on your side, but often we don't. Don't think that just because you are certain that you are right, reporting is necessarily the best path to go, especially if you have to continue to either live with that person or work with that person. Then we try to stay calm. Yep, I'm calm. You know, my dad says, I'm calm. Yep. We may try to know who we are dealing with. We try to get in there. We may take a moment and think about our needs. And we should. Think about what in the world do you need? What's okay with you? And what is not okay with you? And don't settle. Don't negotiate for your needs because you know they will negotiate for their needs. And that's what happens a lot of times. People blow up because they just try to um, babysit someone else's needs as opposed to really sticking up for what they really need and being empowered in what they need. On this note, be careful about making too many concessions too soon. Let me see. Be very careful about making too many concessions too soon. And if you're working with an aggressive person, your offer of cooperation may work against you. Let me say it again. If you are working with an aggressive person, your offer of cooperation may work against you. And instead, think about what you want and what you're willing and not willing to do. And you've got to stick with that. That's why your value system is important. That's why your morals is important. You've got to be in touch with yourself. And then you do that, you get in touch with yourself by getting in touch with God. And God tells you what you are. And you stick with that. Then um, you can make sure that you don't end up agreeing to give up more than you feel comfortable with giving up. And we may take a moment and think about our needs, what's okay with you and what is not okay with you. 
negotiate for your needs because you know that they will negotiate for their needs. And with this, we have to be careful about making two sessions, like I said before. If we are working with an aggressive person, like I said before, our, our offers of cooperation kind of work sometimes, but instead we have to think about what we need. Then we can make sure that we don't end up agreeing to end up more than what we are feeling comfortable with giving. And this happens a lot in romantic relationships. You know good and darn well if you're a person that, I don't know any woman that does not want to get married when they're young, when they're like in their 20s. And they're, you know, little girls, right, they, they draw out wedding dresses and their families. um system and all of that and then they meet somebody at their 19 years old that uh, takes up all of their time 20 years and then they're mad at them that's not the way it's supposed to be and this overall is exhausting and it is emotionally draining and take a toll on our sleep our happiness and our well-being so, as we look at the focus scripture, as we look at the focus scripture in some English translations of the Bible, James chapter 1 verse 2 contains the clause, count it all joy. It is the first command that James gives us in his epistle to understand what he means by it. We must look to the full passage and surround and surrounding verses. He says to count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And when James wrote this, he was not talking about our immediate emotional response to things like, oh, I got a flat tire, oh, I'm sick, or the loss of a loved one. And those are all uh, things that we will challenge our emotions, but he's not talking about that. He's talking about how we categorize that moment when assessing our life as a whole. It's still a hard command, and yet it acknowledges something important, which we don't always admit. We can decide how we describe any moment to ourselves. We may not be able to control the circumstances, but... We can apparently control how we think about our circumstances. And when bad things happen, and they will, we can immediately say, this is terrible, this is a bad day, my life is going wrong, why did this happen to me? Or we can say to ourselves, this is a bad thing, but I will get through it. 
I will learn and be stronger. I will call the growth and strength worth rejoicing over even while it hurts. But what usually happens, that sounds good, but what usually happens is that we say we complain about it and we get on the phone and write messages all over the computer and complaint. We have a whole lot of doubt. We have a lot of fear. We have a lot of anger. We have a lot of discontentment. But instead of going inward and causing self-harm, James is telling us that we are to consider it pure joy when we fall into various trials. And this is so contrary to what we want to do in the midst of these trials. Let's consider, let's really observe, let's really take into consideration what is really happening. And when bad things do happen, we can immediately say, this is terrible, this is a, such a bad day. My life is going wrong, and why did this happen to me? Yes, or we can say to ourselves, this is bad, I'm feeling this, yada, yada, yada. So often we want to complain and moan and be, get frustrated because that's the human side of us when we find ourselves in knee-deep trials and tribulations. We feel like we simply can't be happy until the trial is over. But unfortunately, that we don't know when that trial is going to end. That thing could last for years. We want to get out of the trial as fast as possible. Just like, you know, things happen. But we have to learn how to deal with what is going on. And yet, Scripture commands us to consider it pure joy when we find ourselves swimming in the rough waters of tribulation. We're called to count it all joy when our path takes us through the fiery trials. To count it all joy means that we see trials in a new perspective. And instead of seeing them as something awful to be escaped as quickly as possible, we are to see them as coming to us from the hand of our Father. Just like athletes, how do you learn how to be great if you don't have a challenge? How do you know that you're really that good if you've never been challenged? And James encourages Christians everywhere to embrace trials, not for what they presently are, but for the outcome God will accomplish through them. The outcome, just stick with the outcome. I'm going to get through this because I know God is teaching me something and I want to learn the lesson so I, when it happens up again, I won't be tripped up again. James, in the uh, James 1.12, it tells if there's a promise in this. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trials because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And the word count, and I have to say it, when they say count it all joy, we're not talking about, oh, wow, I'm so happy that I'm going through this hardship. That is not what it's saying. 
The word count is a financial term. And it means to evaluate, evaluate your stuff. When James says to count it all joy, he is encouraging us to evaluate the way that we look at the trials. He calls us to develop a new and improved attitude that considers trials from God's perspective. James wants us to know to expect trials of various kinds in this Christian life. And we should be prepared to not be caught off guard when a sudden trial comes upon us. And trials are a part of our experience. Jesus said we're going to have trials. And I don't know why when you see clergy struggling and then the church wants to put them out. What kind of mess is that? Don't you think that they need your help and your strength? And they're going, they're people just like you. They just happen to answer their call. And because it doesn't mean that they have sinned and you're not living right. It just means that they're going through a trial. Typically, a trial is not an occasion for joy, as I said earlier. And in James, the book of James it isn't suggesting that we pursue trials or count them either as we try to pretend that trials are enjoyable because they are not. They are trials. Trials are very difficult and painful, but they exist for a purpose. They exist for a purpose. They, they exist for a purpose. Let me say it again. Trials exist for a purpose. Trials have a the potential for producing something good in us and for us for this reason. They are an opportunity for expressing joy. In the end, knowing there is a bigger picture, we can consider trials as things to rejoice. Remember, athletes have trials all the time in their sport. Are they supposed to just run away? No. They attack it head on. Eagles are the only bird in the, in the sky that face the storm. Other birds run the heck away and go to Florida. <sighs> okay, so James does not merely say count it joy, but he says count it all joy. You can't pick and choose. Count it the whole enchilada, all joy. That is, we can consider trials and testing as pure, unknowing, total joy. And too often we see trials in a negative light. Or we assume that joy cannot exist in hardship. Worse, we consider the hard times as God is cursing us. Oh, it must be something I'm doing. And we are quick to do that. God is cursing me. Oh, my God. God is cursing me. No, God is not cursing. He's teaching you something. In James chapter 1, verse 3, explains that God intends trials to test our faith and produce spiritual perseverance. And trials are like training challenges for an athlete, like I said earlier. They build physical endurance. And they build stamina. The athlete looks forward to physical 
and mental challenges because of the benefit that follows. It feels good after you've gone through something and you're still standing. The, the biggest loser, you know, the, the, the athlete. You've gone through the, your trials. And you even going through college and going to grad school and staying up half the night and just working at it and plucking at it and plucking at it. You know, and I, I, I worked. My postgraduate was alongside many uh, doctors that were going through uh, their residential training. And I remember how tough it was. And But you would just stay, they would stay with it. And it's a beautiful thing as you get toward the end and get get through everything and get through your test. But if we walk through life, if we walk through life on easy street and never face any hardship, our, where's, where's the challenge for our character? How can we measure our character? Because trials develop our spiritual muscles giving us the stamina and endurance to stay the course. We can count it all joy in trials because in them we learn to depend on God and trust him. And faith that is tested becomes genuine faith, rugged faith. It becomes uncompromising faith. And all this you greatly rejoice through now for a little while that you may have to suffer grief of all kinds. But you noted that joy will come in the morning. God tells us he uses our trials to discipline us. Just like, you know, you, you a parent disciplines their child. They're not supposed to damage them, but you've got to discipline them so that they can learn. Trials help to purge our spiritual shortcomings and mature our faith. They promote joy because they produce holiness in the life of steadfastness. James continues to encourage us to embrace the trials, not for what they presently are, but for the outcome God will accomplish through us. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And when Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, remember back in Genesis, the book of Genesis, he could not see the beautiful life-saving outcome that God would accomplish through his years of suffering and perseverance in Egypt. And after his ordeal with Potiphar's wife, you remember Potiphar's hot wife, Joseph spent long years forgotten. He was forgotten in prison. Eventually, God's plan came to fruition, and Joseph was raised up in the second most powerful position over Egypt. And it was because of all that he went through. Through many trials and tests, Joseph learned to trust God. Not only did Joseph rescue his family and the nation of Israel from starvation, but he saved all of Egypt too. So there's always a bigger thing in play. That little stuff we're going through, that, that's nothing. That's just, that's just training around. 
Joseph's faith has been tested through trials. And let it will be an honor to say that our faith has been tested through trials. And perseverance finished its work. And after coming through the trials victoriously, Joseph understood God's good purpose in all that he had endured. Joseph was able to see God's sovereign hand in it all. And that's what we have to do. We have to see God's sovereign hand in working it for us. Mature and complete. God wants us mature and complete Christians. Not staggering, not weak-minded Christians. Joseph spoke these words of forgiveness to his brothers. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what he now, what he, what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And we have to get to the point of saying that you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, blah, 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 blah. We have to remember as believers who perseveres through trials, is made perfect. This does not mean he or she is sinless or without moral failings. Perfect speaking of maturity and spiritual development. So when we say perfect, we're talking about you're getting spiritually mature in your life, in your development. As we face trials, because they're going to come, sometimes they come every day. But we have to continue to trust God. We have to be able to stay with God. And as we stay with God, he will equip us with everything we need to accomplish every trial that we have. And that's certainly a good reason to rejoice, because he's not leaving us out there naked. To count it all joy when we face trials, we must evaluate the difficulties in life with eyes of faith and see them in light of God's good purpose. And the translation that James is talking about is he's talking about when all kinds of trials and temptations crowd our lives, um, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends, realize that they come to test our faith and to produce in us quality of endurance. But let the process go on until that endurance is fully developed. Make sure that stuff is fully developed in you and you will find you have become men and women of mature character. You'll be able to stand the fire. The greatest stuff takes place, really, it's all about Jesus. It was always about Jesus. It wasn't about you and your little stuff and my stuff. Let's not get caught up in the stuff before us as Jesus continues to fight our battles and puts them out for the count. Remember, let's go back to Revelations 21, the new heaven and the new earth. When John said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away and there was no longer any sea. 
Now I see the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and there will be no more death, no more mourning, and no more crying or pain. For the older order of things has passed away. He who has settled has seated on the throne. Who he who is seated on the throne said, "I am making everything new." Then he said, "Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they are true." He said to me, "This is he's talking to John. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and I am the end." The thirsty I will give water to without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the vicious, the murderers, the sexually immoral, and those who practice all kind of crazy stuff, the adulterers, the liars, they would be co-signed to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And this is the second death. And that's really what it's all about, that second death. So your little stuff that you're going through, it, it, it's big for you. But it ain't the real picture because there's more to that whole story. Remember it this way. John says, I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and rages war. His eyes are like blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him, on him, that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He threads the wine press of the furry of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe, and on his thigh, he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So today, I want everyone that's listening to this, get up and rise. And don't let stuff of today take you down. Rise today because he rose for you. Because of this, we shall wait and see the salvation of the Lord right now, tomorrow, and forevermore. And in moving and staying focused, let's remove ourselves from the fulala. And there's a quality of life in peace. There's a quality of life in joy. There's a quality of life being able to rest in the mind, body, and inner spirit. 
in the worst of it all, we have to know that God did not abandon us. Yet in the midst of our mourning, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of God. Instead of grumbling, instead of complaining and shouting and waiting and grumpily, we have to rise every day with our heads lifted up, our hearts lifted up, trusting in the triune God. And when you need deliverance, and you will need deliverance, when we need a little more faith, when we need to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, when we remember how the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, remember to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. So we can get our love, we can continue to bask in our joy, our peace, and our patience. Basking in kindness and generosity and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Let all of that be the refuge, our disposition every single day, regardless of whatever is going on. So we have total restoration and not be dried up, prunes, decaying, and, and being diseased. Again, like we started out, consider it all joy, pure joy. Brothers and sisters, whenever you face stuff, and I say stuff, all kinds of trials, rise today, rise today again. As the word of Fred Hammond says that you're blessed in the city, you're blessed in the field, you're blessed in the coming, and you're blessed in the going. Since thou hast walked uprightly as a light in our dark land, Thou hast placed in thy heart all the Lord's commands. He sets thee above nations and casts thy enemies away. He's standing up within you. Therefore, we are blessed in the city, blessed in the field. We're blessed in when we come and when we go. We cast down every stronghold, sickness and poverty must cease. Right now, we have to know. The devil is defeated because we are blessed. Again, we are blessed in the field. We're blessed in the, in the city. We're blessed when we come and go. We cast down every stronghold. Sickness and poverty must cease. For the devil is defeated. One more time. We're blessed in the city. Blessed in the field. We're blessed when we come and when we go. And we cast down every stronghold, sickness, and poverty must cease. For the devil is defeated. And as we also, I just wanted to remind you that um, God has everything for you. Are you ready for your blessing? Are you ready for the miracle? For the chains that come from the enemy are utterly destroyed. And when the praises ring, so say, Hallelujah, Jesus. He's exalted forever and praise the Lord. We thank you and praise you and give you all glory. Again, count it all joy because God has already something ready for us all when those trials come. Have a blessed and beautiful supercharged day. I hope this message was a blessing to you as it was for me, especially 
when it is so dear to me. And take your time and go through it and really just allow it to marinate into your mind, body, and spirit. Be blessed.